Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm feeling good in the studio today. What good. can I say? Good. The rain in L.A. today, let me tell you. Uh, hey, you know what? This story is about weather, so that's something. I guess so. It did hail today. I know you didn't see it, but it I was did, kind of insane. I did hear it. Yeah, it was a lot, and then it was all gone all at once. I was like, am I in Michigan? Like, this is surreal. Like, weather changed literally within 10 minutes. Yeah. It's crazy. Went away, sun came out, blue skies, gone. It did seem like it came and went very quickly. Right. And I was just like, huh, here we are. And here we are. But anyway, have you ever experienced a tornado? No, but I do distinctly remember a few times where like tornado warnings were called. Uh huh. I think there was one time where my mom like rushed us into the basement. And there was another time where the sky was like green. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I've never seen that. That's freaky. But, I didn't even know that was a thing that happened. Yeah. When it gets really bad, the sky will turn green. I don't know exactly why, but it's just like when you see green, get the F in a house. Wait, um, I'm going to look that up. One sec. All right. I have an explanation. Okay. I guess the greenage in quotes or green color in storms does not mean a tornado is coming. The green color does signify the storm is severe, though. The color from the water droplets suspended in the storm, absorbing red sunlight and radiating green frequencies. Huh. I don't know, dude. So it looks like there's no guarantee that there will be a green sky, meaning that a tornado is coming, but it can happen. That's freaky. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when you exist in life, every storm is like dark gray, right? Right. When it's green, it's just like... Something primal in you is like something's, yeah, something's wrong. Something like it's completely wrong. different. So that's only happened to me one time that I remember, but I was like 10-ish and it was like scary. And then there was one time at college, I believe our senior year, where they called like a tornado watch. And then our friend is like going to pick up pizza. Like there's no problem. <laughs> It's That's, just like, you know, classic college behavior, though. Yeah. But I mean, I remember that when I was like kind of scared. But yeah, I feel like to people who don't experience tornado warnings, hearing a tornado siren or whatever is very scary. I mean, because I was there when that warning was issued and I was also very scared. But at least the people in the story, when they get tornado warnings, it's like if they got scared every single time they got a tornado warning, they'd be scared every single day. At least that's what they said. Oh, wow. So, I mean, this story takes place in Oklahoma. And, yeah, I was going to say. And they experience tornadoes and warnings and that sort of thing all of the time. And they don't always touch down. It's not something that always, like, you know, rips through their town and destroys everything. That's pretty rare, but it does happen. Um, but, you know, you don't expect it to happen to you. Um, right, you never do. I, I would assume this is, like, how the people of Florida feel about tropical storms or, torna or hurricanes. Sure. I, yeah, I have much more experience with hurricanes than tornadoes. I mean, growing up on Long Island, I've been through a couple tropical storms, but definitely no tornadoes. How are those? Hurricanes? The tropical storms. Uh, scary. 
I feel like less scary than a tornado, though. I mean, you have to be worried about flooding and it's still like thundering and lightning and high winds and things like that. But I was never in a place where I was worried that my house was going to be flooded and I needed to like evacuate. So that was always very lucky. But that's cool. Yeah. I mean, like chill. Yeah. That was always very good for me. But I I mean, those kinds of storms are also very dangerous and, you know, life threatening in, in, in its own kind of way. But yeah, I feel like tornadoes are a whole separate kind of beast oh yeah and i don't understand the storm chaser people no people are nuts no yeah i I very briefly talk about a storm chaser in this story and i (laughs) i don't know how people do it i guess it's like they're staying at a distance like they're looking at it and they're following it so they know that they can i guess stay away from it so i guess that's some kind of layer of safety i mean these things move quick though you know what i mean they do like you're not gonna run a tornado with a car you could you could yeah Oh, okay. You could. Well, fuck me. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> Do you want to get started? I had one more point. Sure, if you remember. I uh, know. I was thinking, like, could you imagine your entire block is getting wiped out by a tornado? And, you know, 20 minutes later, the storm chaser comes through, just, like, geeked to <laughs> see the storm no. and, like, completely missing the carnage. No, that's... He's just, like, excited to be there. That'd be pretty whack. Yeah. That would definitely be... Not a good look. Bad look for the storm chaser. Yeah, I'm sure they Don't put that on Discovery. They probably have to be some kind of respectful to, like, the damage, you know? They're just kind of... At least the person in this story is trying to report on where the storm is going so that people can have some kind of warning. It's not so much like a, whoa, this is sick. It's more of like a, hey, just so you know, it's headed straight for your town, so get underground. Gotcha. Yeah. Now that's what we want, Yeah, right? For sure. Okay, we're... Yeah, so let's jump into it. Moore is a city in Cleveland County, Oklahoma. The population is somewhere around 60,000, making Moore the seventh largest city in the state of Oklahoma, for those of you who are wondering. May 20th, 2013 started out like a regular day. There had been reports that the weather was going to be favorable for tornadoes that day, but that wasn't a huge red flag because that had been the case a number of days previously, and no storms had come through that caused any damage to their area. Tornadoes can happen any time during the year in Oklahoma, but tornado season usually happens between March and June. Typically, the springtime is the most severe season when it comes to tornado warnings and tornadoes in general. On the morning of May 20th, Athena Delgado was getting up for work, and when she left her house around 7.30 a.m., she noticed that it was very bright and was already very sticky and humid. Her two youngest were still at home eating breakfast with their father before they'd head off to school. That morning, Dan Engel had also gotten up for work and got his daughters up for school just like any other day. Both of these families sent their kids to Plaza Towers Elementary School, where they were in Jennifer Doan's third grade class. Jennifer loved her class that year and working at the school. However, that morning she came to school a little apprehensive. She had experienced the same tornado warnings and had a small tornado by her home the night before, so she was worried that they would experience one that day as well. She had told her husband that she didn't have a very good feeling about going into work that day, and her husband had told her to call out of work, but she told him that she couldn't do that since it was her last week of school, so she went to work. Oklahoma has a lot of severe weather, and when meteorologist Damon Lane got up and got ready for work that morning, he said you could literally feel that something was off that day. 
it was extremely humid. So he texted his wife before he even got to work and told her that she was going to need to come home early from work that day. It wasn't a matter of are storms going to develop, it was more what time is it coming. Tornadoes are classified in a pretty simple way. EF0 and EF1 are the weakest tornadoes. These have wind speeds of around 65 miles per hour to 110 miles per hour. And that's slow? These are the weak tornadoes. Bro. (laughs) Then we get to EF2 and EF3, and these are considered strong tornadoes with wind speeds of 110 miles per hour to 165. And by EF3, you start to see real damage, like roofs being ripped off houses, windows being blown out, like some pretty severe damage. But by EF4 and EF5, these are considered violent, with wind speeds of 166 to 200 miles per hour or more. EF5 tornadoes are so severe that they can lead to the entire community becoming unrecognizable to survivors. I'm trying to even conceptualize how fast 200 miles per hour of wind even is. 65 sounded like a lot to me. So... Yeah, I don't want to be hit by any kind of tornado. Preferably not. Yeah. But Glenn Lewis has been the mayor of Moore, Oklahoma since 1994. And since his time being mayor, he has experienced three F5 tornadoes. Time to move. (laughs) Time to, to move. Get the hell out of Mr. Dodge. Mr. Mayor, get the fuck out. Yeah, right. So in 1999, Moore, Oklahoma experienced one of the worst tornadoes in history, holding record winds of 319 miles per hour. Bro. Which was, what the fuck? Yeah, which was the strongest tornado ever recorded on Earth. Oh my God. Homes were reduced to rubble. The community was destroyed and unrecognizable. There were pieces of homes and debris everywhere. The town was completely leveled. It literally sucked the grass and the trees off of the golf courses. Like it was destroyed. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that was Moore's first taste, or rather their most recent tastes, other than this tornado that we're going to talk about, of a really big time tornado. But because that happened, the community almost felt like the odds of them getting hit a second time by a tornado of that magnitude in less than 15 years was highly unlikely. So because of that false sense of security, even though there were tornado warnings going out, the community wasn't too concerned. One of the teachers at Plaza Towers, Rhonda Crosswhite, had even been joking with a coworker at lunch because one of the nearby schools had closed early due to the tornado warning. But she thought that that was ridiculous because if they closed school for every warning, they'd be out of school every day. Similarly, Jacob Lyles, who lived around four houses down from Plaza Towers Elementary School, had heard the warnings on the Weather Channel, but instead of grabbing his bicycle helmet and a bunch of blankets and getting under a mattress in the bathroom like he used to do as a kid, he went outside to go watch whatever storm was coming. Because you never think that it's going to hit your house. Meteorologist Damon Lane was not downplaying this tornado. They put out a severe thunderstorm warning, and as the day went on, the storm only got stronger and stronger, until suddenly their radar started pinging out these spinning rings. So he started pointing out the areas that were most likely going to be affected by this massive storm. 
Most tornadoes will move about 35 to 40 miles per hour, but this tornado was moving half that speed at 15 to 20 miles per hour. So in the beginning, when you said you can't outrun a tornado, you kind of can because they usually move around that speed. But it's sometimes even worse when they're moving slower because then they're taking their time to kind of rip through your town. Right. But I mean, I guess if you're on a road, you know, it's not like you can't move more than 40 miles per hour. Right. But, you know, in their town, it's... Can't move the house. Exactly. So the Weather Channel gave a breakdown of what time that day the tornado should be reaching each town in the area. But for more, it was what Damon Lane called a bedroom community. So many people lived there, but not many people worked there. So not everyone can get to their kids' schools very quickly to pick them up because a lot of people were commuting to work. And so they'd have to, you know, commute home and they couldn't do that in the middle of the workday. But he tried to give as much warning as possible about the tornado and about when it was going to hit. But by around 2 p.m., the weather had started getting really, really bad. Dan Engel had actually been put into a shelter that he had at his work. And he had heard that Plaza Towers at that point was letting kids out of school early because of the storm. But like I mentioned, many parents couldn't get to the school immediately to get their kids. Also, Dan Engel believed that if a tornado did come through, then the school might be the best place for their kids because it's a huge brick reinforced building. So rather than them being home in their little house, maybe it's better for them to be in this, you know, big building. Right. And a few parents actually had the same reaction. They thought maybe it's better to leave their kids at the school. You know, they doubt a storm would even hit the school to begin with. But even if it did, maybe they would be safer there. So back at the school, Jennifer Doan had just brought her third graders back from music class and they had started coloring. It had began thunderstorming, but it wasn't anything too intense yet. It seemed pretty normal until these really dark black storm clouds formed in the sky. In Rhonda Crosswhite's classroom, things shifted almost immediately. Like I said, it got dark very quickly and then it got quiet. Then she heard her students' phones start to ping one by one as each of them were getting alerts for the weather. Third graders? No, Rhonda had older students. Okay. So Jennifer had third graders, but Rhonda had older students who had cell phones. Shout out Rhonda. (laughs) Yes. And they're all getting weather alerts on their cell phones. And that's when the principal came over the loudspeaker and told them that a tornado warning had been issued so all students should grab their backpacks and gather together in the hallway where they could wait to be picked up by their parents. Most schools didn't have tornado shelters, and Plaza Towers didn't have one because Moore had never been hit by a tornado during school hours, so it wasn't something that people thought to even have. They did have tornado drills, but that consisted of everyone gathering in the hallway, getting down on their knees, facing the wall, and covering their heads with their hands. But they hadn't reached that point yet, so at this point they're just kind of waiting for their parents to pick them up. Jacob Lyles was still outside with his neighbors looking up at the sky to watch whatever they could of the tornado from their driveways. Jacob said they could see all kinds of debris flying outside of this tornado that had been forming because at this point they can see like the damn thing. Right. They can see the shit swirling. Correct. And it was at that moment that they realized that this tornado might actually hit them. 
There had been a storm chaser guy on the road who was broadcasting as he was tracking the movements and severity of the storm. And by that time, he had started screaming at the community of Moore that they needed to get underground. But other than that, it was getting hard for people to track what was going on because cell service was getting really spotty. Everyone was waiting to see if this tornado would actually touch down and grow. But within a few minutes, the twisting winds went from looking like a thin spindly rope to becoming a very large and in charge tornado. By 2.45, the tornado had become an EF5 and all hell had broken loose. The winds were so severe that cars were getting picked up off of the road and debris was flying everywhere. By 3 o'clock, the National Weather Service sent out a tornado emergency for the storm that was currently moving into Moore. They instructed whoever was watching to get underground immediately. And once the words tornado emergency happen, that's when you know that people are most likely going to die in this storm. They don't use the words tornado emergency lightly, is the point. But back at the school, the staff was doing everything they could to keep the kids safe. They didn't have an underground tornado shelter, like I said, but they did gather everyone into the hallway to basically just duck and cover. Kids at that time had done tornado drills regularly. Some of the kids took them seriously and others not so much because it was a very regular occurrence. But this time it was not a drill. Jennifer Doan's third grade class was in the hallway on their knees, bent over and covering their heads with their hands as they were taught to do, but this time it felt a lot scarier. It was hailing outside, they heard the sounds of alarms going outside, as well as the whipping winds and thunder. After a little while, one of the teachers suggested that they shouldn't have the kids just in the hallway, they should move them into the bathrooms. He had been watching the storm outside, and after seeing how bad it had been getting, he walked down the hallway and said, Okay, everyone get in the bathrooms. Rhonda Crosswhite, who taught some of the older kids, then shuffled her kids into the bathrooms and into the stalls and told them that it was going to be okay. But the storm outside was getting very close and very loud. But the thing about Plaza Towers was it was split up into two buildings. The main building had kindergarten, first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. And the second and third graders were in a separate building. So Jennifer Doan and her third grade class were in a completely separate building and didn't hear this warning or idea, rather, to put the kids in the bathroom instead of out in the open hallway. So they stayed where they were. Jacob Lyles, who was just a few houses down from the school, was still outside and was filming the storm on his phone as it approached. The storm looked like a perfect gray funnel that was very thin on the bottom, but was extremely wide on the top, exactly how you would picture a twister in your head. Jacob said by that time, the storm was just at the end of his street. That's how close it was to him when he was still outside. Whoa. So how many feet do you think? I mean... A few hundred feet? Yeah, a few hundred. Oh my god. Right. So that's when the sirens outside had stopped, and the speakers started broadcasting, this is not a drill, get underground. So that's how you know it's like... Time to get underground. Yeah, when they, when they turn the sirens off, and they're like, get underground right now, that's when you're like, okay, now it's time to turn off the cell phone, and yeah. you run into a bunker. I think we got a good snap. 
out. Right. <laughs> Put it so, on the story, get underground. Right. So Jacob knew he needed to get into a cellar right now. The news had also been updating on the movements of the storm, and the meteorologist said, if you are not underground on the path of this storm, you are endangering your life. The tornado shelter he was using, Jacob was using, was already full once he got down there. So there was nowhere for him to sit on the ground in there, which meant that he had to sit on the top step with his back up against the storm door, because I'm pretty sure this was a neighborhood storm cellar. So he's still outside? No, no, no. So he was in it, but he couldn't like go fully down into it. He was kind of like right at the very top of it, just holding the door closed. Whoa. Yeah. Jennifer Doan had her class up against the lockers in the hallway, and she was knelt down with them rubbing their backs and trying to soothe them, which is when the principal came over the loudspeaker and said that the storm was here. The lights went out, and for a moment it sounded quiet, almost like there wasn't a storm outside that was about to strike them. But that's when it hit. For Jacob Lyles, in the underground neighborhood bunker, he felt that moment of calm, but then all at once, it sounded like people with sledgehammers were pounding at the storm door and trying to pull it up. So he put his arm around the latch and used all of his body weight to keep the door shut and basically prayed that it wouldn't get sucked off and they'd all stay safe down there. People in their homes who didn't have somewhere underground to go took shelter in small closets or bathrooms. They used football helmets, pillows, blankets, anything they could to keep themselves safe. But homes were torn apart. Anything in the tornado's path was leveled. At the school, Rhonda Crosswhite, who was taking shelter with her kids in a bathroom stall, had to hold on tight as the roof and ceiling was ripped off. All they could do was get as low as possible and hold on to each other and hope that they weren't pulled out of this stall. After a few minutes of holding on for dear life, it finally became quiet again, which is when they knew that the storm had passed. So now they had to see what the damage was. And that's what's so crazy to me about tornadoes. They blow through so fast and can destroy everything in their path, but once they're gone, it's fine. Yeah, no, it's like a really intense brief moment. Yeah. Rhonda had one of the boys who was in the stall with her climb up to look over the top of it to see what it looked like out there to see if they could, you know, leave the stall. But she told him once he got up there, he most likely wasn't going to be able to see anything. Like there wasn't going to be anything for him to really see. So she basically told him that so that he wouldn't be scared because she knew there was going to be a lot of damage. And when he peeked his head over the top of the stall, he was shocked. He looked back down at Rhonda and told her there was nothing left. The school building was flat. And she was like, I know, I, I told you that's what, what it was going to be like. But when Rhonda opened the door, she saw that the bathroom that they had been in was mostly intact, thankfully. The walls were standing, the stalls that they were in were all in place. But just outside of that, where her classroom would have been, was completely gone. It had been wiped away. Nothing was left. Even the carpet had been sucked off of the foundation. It was unbelievable to see the destruction that had happened in just a matter of minutes and that they were walking out of it. Something really strange was that Rhonda's friend's classroom, like one of the other teachers' classrooms, was completely intact. Everything was exactly as she left it. There wasn't even a pen out of place. And Rhonda's classroom was completely gone. 
Wow. So it's like if you were a hundred feet away, you would be fine. Yeah, I guess. This, wow. Yeah. You just have you would have to get really unlucky. Yeah, the storm had blown directly over Rhonda's classroom, but it didn't tear apart the entire school. It destroyed most of it, but some of it was okay, which is shocking. Because with winds that strong, you would think that it would kind of... Do the whole school. Right. Right, yeah. 200 plus miles per hour for Category 5 or whatever, EF5. Yeah, about. I mean, that's insane, dude. It was picking up cars. I know, yeah. Jennifer Doan's section was among the worst of it. She had been with her third grade class in the hallway when the storm hit. The roof and ceiling flew off of the school and the walls caved in on top of them, which pinned them underneath the rubble. Athena Delgado, who was a mother of one of the third graders in Jennifer Doan's class, had been literally running to the school now that the storm had passed. And she said that there were no houses left, so she was able to just walk through what was basically now a field that was between her and the school, because the houses were gone. So she was able to just run through the town to the school. Wow. Yeah. The front part of the school still looked like parts of it had been left intact, but the back part of the school, there was an entire building that was missing, and the back building was where her children were. As she walked through the rubble, she asked whoever was around looking through things if they could help her find her kids. And a man with a clipboard stopped her and asked what grade her kids were in, and she said second and third grade. He pointed behind him to the piles of rubble and basically told her that the second grade was that pile and the third grade was the other. She just started bawling because she didn't know if her kids were dead or alive and things were looking really bad. Her husband had thankfully found their daughter who was at the front of the school and was unharmed, but their son, Xavier, who had been in Jennifer Doan's third grade class, was still missing. Jennifer Doan had been just about regaining consciousness at that time. And when she woke up, she felt the immense pressure of the walls that had just caved in on her. She was trapped in a place where she could barely even breathe. It was so heavy, she could barely expand her lungs. She tried reaching for a few of the kids who she knew had been next to her at the time of the collapse, but there was rubble everywhere and she could barely move. Thoughts were flying through her head. She was trapped, the kids were silent, and she was eight weeks pregnant at the time. She was terrified that the kids in her class or her own kids at home had been killed, or if she would even make it out of the situation alive herself. Jacob Lyles, once he had left the underground bunker, saw that his house was also gone. But all around this area, anyone who made it through the storm was trying to help whoever they could. All of their possessions had been destroyed, but that didn't even matter at that point. It was all about saving as many people as you possibly could. Jacob had been trying to help people who had been trapped under rubble, but after helping someone, he turned around and saw what was left of the mangled school playground equipment. And he said that if it wasn't for the playground equipment, he almost would have forgotten that the school was even right there because the building was gone. But as soon as it hit him, what he was looking at, he started sprinting in the direction of the school because he knew that there was a very good chance that kids were trapped under this rubble and he needed to go and help. This was not an ordinary storm. This was called a grinder tornado. 
It wasn't moving 60 miles an hour across town. It was moving 20 miles an hour at best. It stayed on the ground for so long, and it tore up everything in its path. At its peak, the winds were estimated to be 210 miles per hour. The tornado had touched down just northwest of Newcastle at 2.56 p.m. and stayed on the ground for 39 minutes, crossing over 17 miles. The tornado was 1.08 miles wide at its peak. So it was destroying 1.08 miles at a time, pretty much. It was a mile wide? At its peak, yeah. Holy shit. When a disaster like this happens, everyone in the city of Moore became a first responder. There were around 40 students still unaccounted for around that time, which was, of course, devastating to think about. But when Jacob Lyles got to the school, he first went up to two off-duty firefighters who were at the scene, and he had seen one of them standing on a pile of debris and lifting and handing a child off to the other firefighter. So Jacob didn't even hesitate to start moving broken pieces of bricks to uncover whatever he could. And as soon as he poked his head down into this hole that he had now created, he saw a little face looking back up at him. And immediately he knew that he had to get this little girl that he had found out of there. So he reached down into the hole and moved anything he could out of the way for her that she could scooch out toward him until he was able to pull her out and he was able to hand her off to another firefighter and she was carried away. And he did this, you know, a number of times with a bunch of children. So many people in the community were running down to the school to help out in any way that they could. Rhonda, who wanted to get her kids away from the rubble and danger, heard that the church down the road was still standing, so she sent her kids with another teacher to go there. At that time, she saw that kids were being taken out of the rubble of the second and third grade building, so she stayed put to help with that. Also, she knew that her friend, Jennifer, was missing and wanted to see if she was there as well. Jennifer was in very bad shape. One of the kids in her class had woken up next to her and kept trying to push his way out of the rubble. She had to keep trying to tell him to stay calm and to stop moving, but she was trapped herself and couldn't do anything. He kept yelling things like he didn't want to die, but all she could do was tell him to stop moving. She started hearing people outside of the rubble nearby, and she tried to yell out to them, but she couldn't yell very loudly. She was in so much pain, and the whole weight of the building was basically on her back. She was terrified that someone wouldn't know that they were down there and would step on top of where they were, which would kill them. And that's when she heard another teacher yell that there was still another teacher down there, meaning Jennifer, and that she was pregnant. So now a whole group was working on that pile of rubble that Jennifer and her class was in. She heard their voices yelling down to them, and after about an hour, they finally had a little bit of air to breathe, since they were working on taking people out and had made a hole. One of the boys, Xavier, who had been directly next to Jennifer, was pulled out of the rubble, and that was Athena Delgado's son. She was extremely relieved to see her son was alive. Jennifer Doan had put her arms around Xavier and Porter, who was another boy in her class, who were directly next to her as the walls had come down around them, which could have been a reason that these two boys lived. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. I'm just thinking, like, be a little thankful for your teachers. I mean, that's an understatement. Absolutely. Xavier had been impaled by something in the rubble, and it, and it had to be taken out of him when he was pulled out. 
and his back was in really terrible shape, but he didn't feel any of it because he was in shock. And that was happening with a lot of the kids. They'd be pulled out of the rubble and their backs would have taken the bulk of the impact as the walls had come down on them. Some of them couldn't feel their feet as they were pulled out and had to be rushed to the hospital. Like, they were in bad shape. But next out of the rubble was Porter, who was also next to Jennifer. And then finally, Jennifer was also pulled out and put on the ground. All of the ambulances were in use at that point, so Jennifer had to be loaded up into the bed of a truck, and a man climbed in the back with her so that she could rest her head on his leg instead of the cold, hard bed of the truck as they drove to the hospital. And at the hospital, Jennifer learned that her spine had been fractured in three places, her sternum had been fractured, she had a strained neck, she had lacerated tendons in her hand, and a piece of rebar had deeply cut her palm but she had not lost her baby, thankfully. Yes. She, oh, that's such good news. Yeah, there was a heartbeat, and she did not lose her baby. Wow, that's actually a miracle. Yeah, it is. She was not showing yet. She was still pretty... She was only like eight weeks along or so. I don't know exactly how pregnancy works, but she didn't lose the baby, so that's huge. Um, yeah, I mean, even in any stage when you have a building come down on top of you... No, yeah, it's not great news for for the baby. For sure, a miracle. She had a moment of relief knowing that her baby was okay, but still was haunted by what had happened to her class and had to spend the next two days not really knowing what truly had happened to her class because no one in the hospital would tell her what had happened. Six kids in her class did not make it, and one more in another third grade class who had been with Jennifer's class when the storm hit one of those seven children was Dan Angle's daughter, Sydney. In the storm, 24 people lost their lives, 10 of which were kids under the age of 18, and 212 others were injured. It was incredibly tragic. What's crazy is this, is this tornado followed a very similar path to the even deadlier 1999 Bridge Creek Moor tornado, But in the 1999, not as many homes were affected as well as the schools were missed that time around. After this tornado was a very busy and very sad time for the town of Moore. Entire farms, a strip mall, blocks of homes were flattened. The trees were completely debarked and torn down. Vehicles were thrown and mangled. The ground was severely scored. Another elementary school was destroyed, but thankfully there were no casualties at that school. But... An estimated 1,150 homes were destroyed, resulting in an estimated $2 billion in damages. Witnesses said the tornado more closely resembled a giant black wall of destruction than a typical twister. The Moore Medical Center was also heavily damaged, but no one present in the building was injured by the tornado. Um, Part of Interstate 35 was shut down due to debris that had been thrown onto the freeway. On May 21st, Moore still did not have running water. There were 61,500 power outages related to the tornado, and more than 100 people had to be rescued from areas that sustained significant damage from the tornado. The Oklahoma Department of Insurance estimated that insurance claims for damage would most likely be more than $1 billion. Well, I'm surprised it isn't two. It's like half the town didn't have insurance. I don't know. I feel like you you have to have tornado insurance if you're in Oklahoma. You probably don't have to. You should. You know what I mean? You should, but I mean. This was absolutely devastating for this town. But 
As much as the tornado tore the town apart, it also brought so many people together. The tornado happened in May, but by the following school year, they had made a makeshift school that was up and running while they rebuilt Plaza Towers. And once Plaza Towers was rebuilt, they put seven benches in front of the school, one for each of the kids who had lost their lives that day, and each bench had their name carved into it along with their favorite things. So it's like a really beautiful memorial for each of these kids. And really quickly, I wanted to give a trigger warning for suicide. Um, Although Xavier Delgado did survive the tornado, a few years after he did take his own life. He was struggling a lot with his mental health, and although his family urged him to seek help, he would not. So they wanted to highlight the tendency of survivors to minimize mental health impacts of weather disasters. The we're all right mentality can be harmful, and many of these survivors suffer with depression, PTSD, and anxiety, and it's important to get help when you need it. So just incredibly sad, but just wanted to quickly say that. Following the 2013 tragedy, Oklahoma schools made storm shelters a priority. So now most schools have dedicated safe rooms. Since then, more has been rebuilt, and it seems to be better than before, which is a positive. True. Jennifer had her son, Jack, the December after the tornado, and she and her husband gave him the middle name Nicholas, after Nicholas McCabe, who was one of her students that she lost that day. He was the closest to her that didn't make it, and she had her hand on him when the storm had hit. Jesus so, Christ. So it was really difficult for her to let him go, and she chose to honor him that way. It was really hard for her to get back into a classroom at first, but today she's back at it, and she feels like she's doing what she's meant to do, which is teaching kids. And after that day, Jacob Lyles, who pulled kids out of the rubble, went on to go to school to become an EMT and now works as an EMT in Oklahoma City and said that that day absolutely changed his life and as it changed all of their lives. And that is the story of the 2013 Moore tornado. It's a heavy one. Yeah. No doubt. It is, I mean, it was an, it was a weather disaster. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like whenever I hear tornado or weather event, and I don't know how many people were killed in 20, total. I believe 24. Like, it doesn't sound like that much. I'm going to be honest. Like, for a news headline and national news. Mm. But when you experience it through this community's eyes, it's just devastating on so many levels. Right. Like, seven kids that were there. Yeah. No, or, it's devastating. you know, you're touching one of the kids that ends up passing away i mean it's just so emotionally like heavy it is i mean it it's i feel like we get thrown terrible news at all the time all the time and it's really easy to become like desensitized almost to it but it's almost like you have to sometimes right just to like kind of protect yourself from certain things but also at the end of the day it is like we are all people and like these are real people right who, i mean it doesn't mean that you things. shouldn't care no but i can't absolutely. care about every single horrible thing that's going on in the world all at once no i mean it's not good for it's your mental health but also it like we like i just talked about it's very important to take care of your mental health to get help to like take care of yourself to know what you can handle and what you can't 
I know it's it's so sad. But I think something positive to highlight is the fact that this community came together in a way that was like immediate and they I mean they lost everything so quickly and it is such a devastating thing but it wasn't even about their personal belongings it was like we're gonna join together and get every single person that we can out of this alive yeah I mean it is in situations like these I know we've talked about like the San Francisco earthquake yeah and I think there was another bridge collapse yeah. in like Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But these events, just people, you don't even need to organize. They just do. Yeah, you just you know, act. Everyone just does. So it is really amazing to hear that a, people react that quickly and that a community can come together and rebuild the school and essentially rebuild what their entire town, yeah, absolutely. all their homes. So. That part is inspiring for sure. Yeah. And now they have dedicated safe rooms in schools. Like they didn't have the safe rooms before and now a lot of schools do. I don't know that all of them do, but I think even the ones that don't are working toward getting them. Yeah. So that's positive change as well. Yeah. So they made improvements. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sucks. I mean, it's, it's it's just hard to find a good one about this one. (laughs) No, it's really sad. It's, it's all just, it's, it's just scary. I can't imagine living in a place like where something could, this is normal where where like it, I don't know that it's necessarily normal. I mean, this was the second one that happened to them in 15 years. And this is the most recent F5 that's happened like Mm -hmm. since then. But still just the fact that it's a possibility. I mean, you just have to be in a place where you have a underground place to go like somewhere where you're prepared but i guess you can't always be you know like yeah what if it hits when you're at the grocery store like you just i don't know uh, but I you feel can't like live you in would, fear you would see it coming on yeah you know it seems like they had decent warning they did they did have know? decent warning so it's not in totally anxiety inducing no it's not if you got they, somewhere to go no for sure they did have decent warning and they but it was just one of those things where they were like, oh, we don't entirely have to take it seriously. But now it's like, okay, right? we're going to take it seriously. I know, seriously. we're filming uh, Snapchats. Right. When the storm is down the street. I mean, if it was a mile wide at one point, that's just crazy to me that the tornado could be touching down at the end of his street and he's still filming it. Yeah. And he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, that's literally crazy to me. And then he had the time to save the snap. Or well, whatever he was filming and then go to the shelter. Right. Well, I mean, the bottom of it is much more narrow than the top of it. Oh, you mean the top? I think so. It was a mile wide. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, even still. Still. I mean, whatever. Well, That's just insane. I, I do have unrelated but still related news if you would like to Please share. have something else. So um, I did look up if anyone had ever been like sucked up by a tornado and survived. And they have. Well... <laughs> So, next week so no it's it's a very short so a tornado ripped across missouri back in 2006 and matt Suter was swept up by it and dropped a quarter of a mile away an ef2 tornado ripped through his grandmother's mobile home that night and Suter was literally picked up and swept away he was 19 at the time and he doesn't remember much of it like he doesn't remember actually being in the air because he was hit in the head by a lamp in the mobile home but he woke up in the middle of a field 1307 feet away Bro. so he woke up after about five or ten minutes completely bewildered 
And he didn't have any bad injuries except for abrasions to his feet from running home on the gravel barefoot and a laceration on the top of his head from the lamp. But that's it. He was sucked up from a tornado and thrown a quarter of a mile away. And the only thing that he was injured by was the gravel under his feet and the lamp that hit his head. Wow, he got lucky. So he got hit by it. So it was strong enough to suck him up. Yes. But he didn't hit any of the debris. Correct. When he was in the air. Yes. Could you imagine if you were conscious during that? No. Literally circling the like bowl of death. No. And then you just get gently dropped into a field. Yeah. He... I mean, not gently probably, but no other injuries. That's so hard to believe. But I've also heard a story where somebody was like dropped out of a plane and they passed out and hit the ground and survived. Yeah, that because happens. All their, the theory was that all their muscles, they passed out. So all their muscles were so relaxed mm. that when they hit, like they all they just like kind of jelly. gave and like, yeah, their muscles didn't like push back to break any of their Whoa. bones. That's weird. So it, they were, I mean, fact check me on that. But yeah, who knows? I do remember something like that. So I wonder if that was the case here because he was passed out. He was just so relaxed that when he hit the ground, everything was fine. Yeah, that don't test that theory. Don't test that theory, guys. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm just connecting fake. it to what I've heard. Um, but he still holds the Guinness World Record for the longest distance anyone has ever been thrown by a tornado and survived. That's a real thing. Hey. <laughs> I mean, gold star for you. Also, if you need us to tell you to not jump out of a plane without a parachute, then I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot help you. Right. Do you understand? I, I, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's uh, have a bit of a palate cleanser. Um, what is your good thing? My good thing is that we had a nice happy hour at work today with uh, open bar oh. with actual glasses. What? So it was cool. And we got to catch up with coworkers and love that. shoot the shit, you know? Love that so much. As they say. Yeah. So it was fun. How about you? Good. Uh, my good thing is that we have found a new show on Apple TV. Oh, and it's Irish. It is Irish. Um, it's called Bad Sisters, I believe. It's basically about this really, really shitty guy who gets murked he gets killed and i'm not gonna give you much i don't want to spoil anything and that's not spoiling anything because that's like the first thing that happens you know he's dead from like the first second of the show but it's a good show and it's he's like one of those people that like you almost you know where you you want to have a villain where you like love to hate them but he's a villain that i like hate to hate him like i just hate him he's bad yeah it's just uncomfortable it's he's like bad guy there's just such a bad villain <laughs> like yeah usually in with a villain like you have good and bad right you know you have a redeeming quality about right. them there's none yeah you like look forward to scenes with the villain because you're like ooh, we'll get some interesting times here but like when he's on yeah. the screen i'm like ooh. yeah he's such a dick that you're almost like he deserves to die like oh, it's yeah. almost that bad yeah i know? look forward to when he's dead right but it's just like hard to imagine that about any person yeah but it's like literally any time that we see him it's like he's causing misery in everyone else's life and mm-hmm. you go well if that didn't happen the misery wouldn't be there right he's dead for a reason let's just say that hey hey uh you, know, you reap what you sow <laughs> anyways 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to vote on an upcoming bonus episode and hear that bonus episode, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>